So hi, welcome to this week's BA Brew. I'm Kerry. I'm Pete. And I'm Mike. And today we're going to be talking about all things persona. So what is a persona? Why is it useful? And how you could incorporate them into your projects if you've never come across them before. So let's go straight in to what a persona is. So Pete, would you like to kick us off with this one? I'll certainly try. Um, I'll, I'll give you my take on it anyway. Um, we, we often talk about personas being imaginary characters. And uh, to, to me, the, the, the key thing about a persona is to try and um, bring out the, the humanity in, um, in, um, in solutions. So rather than treating everyone as, oh, you know, this is a customer, this is a user, there's lots of diverse people out there. Um, with different characteristics and and the whole point of the the persona is so that we can try and empathize more with you know the diverse nature of of the people that may be our users or our our customers you know that's, that's my take on it i mean mike you may have other thoughts uh, well a lot of the thoughts are the same as yours pete which is which i don't i'm not sure whether that's a good thing or whether i should be worried but um <laughs> yeah it's be very worried yes yeah <laughs> i think so um, for me, it's about taking uh, what we identify as roles and and uh, expanding on that to, to rather than have the average characteristics that we have in a role, we think about the range of different characteristics people have got. And, and as you say, Pete, make them more human, make them more realistic, although they're not really real. So think about what people's real needs are rather than something that's completely averaged out in a role. It is so easy nowadays, isn't it, to stereotype? Um, and uh, I, I have to say, and forgive me if I'm going to jump around a little bit here, Kerry, but um, one of the things that, that quite often comes up um, with with, um, with personas is age. You know, this is so and so, and they're this old, or they're they're a Generation Z, or they're a pensioner, and all that sort of stuff. And you have to really think. Well, yes, I mean, we do have customers, we do have users that will be in those age groups, but is age actually relevant? to their customer experience, to the way they use a product or a service, to the way they engage with us. Um, and and uh, I'm sure everyone knows and loves our, our MD, Debbie. She often uh, talks about, um, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, I hope she won't mind me saying this, but she often talks about uh, her, her mother, who I believe is in, in her 80s, who loves her mobile phone, her smartphone. She does everything with her smartphone. Um, and, and I think once, uh, you know, Debbie was teaching a group uh, who said, uh, oh, yes, you know, we, what about the people that are over 50, you know, because they're going to struggle to use the technology. Hello? You know, I, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm over 50, you know, and I seem to be able to manage it quite well. Thank you very much. But, um, you know, so I think there's some interesting things that sometimes people do stereotype characteristics that are not really relevant. I, I, mean, I don't know what your views are. Yes, I was going to uh, sort of touch on that subject, absolutely, Pete, because I think it's a bit of a debate, isn't it, where some people use age, some people use age range, some people use the generation that they grew up in. So it's, it's, it's really good points that you make um, to be included on there. I don't know if you've got anything else, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it is a tricky one because there is, there's always that risk of stereotyping because there are certain characteristics that are going to be more prevalent in certain groups, but they're not exclusive. So, so that's the, the challenge with it. Um, and I think that there are other things as well you've got to watch out for, like like bias, and it's really hard to avoid some kind of bias, and that sort of fits in with that stereotype view. I think it's um, if we focus too much on some of those um, 
of no age, gender, racial background, or whatever, that they that does run the risk of taking us into into stereotypes. If we think about what people's goals are, what some of their problems, um, what their mobility is, or their uh, not just mobility, um, I can't think of the words. Um, their um, the, uh, how well they can uh, navigate around the screen, or how they can use their hands, etc that might affect how they're going to engage with our products and services. And uh, that's, those are the, the characteristics that are more important rather than just a, a number, age, which is just a number. And we've, we've seen people that are quite capable of using the technology. I, I got into technology um, when I first started working in Ministry of Defence many years ago. Um, and I was taught by somebody, he was, he, he was 70 odd, I don't know how old he was exactly, but he told me he got into computing at the age of 50 and, and he, was a, he was a whiz kid. He was an old whiz kid, he was much older than I was, but he was an inspiration. So I don't, stereotyping is really quite, uh, quite dangerous. It's interesting as you get older, um, uh, you know, the, these sort of age stereotypes become more shocking, aren't they? You know, when, when people say about, oh, someone in their 50s, but of course, if you're in your 20s, someone in their 50s seems ancient. Don't they? Mm. But, you know, we, we, can, we can actually survive and, and live and breathe and, and eat and drink and work and things like that, you know, when, when we're over 50. Sorry if that's a bit of a spoiler alert to some of the younger generation. But um, I, I think one of the things for me that is a really relevant thing is people's um people's attitudes to technology some people are actually quite fearful of technology um some people embrace it and they want to do everything on it now that could be someone who i mean in the in the case of debbie's mum for example you know she could be seen as someone that probably should be more fearful of technology because she's in that older age uh, age bracket actually she loves it she embraces it she does more on, on her phone than probably other people that are in their 30s or 40s so that may be a little bit you know if they're not particularly it savvy you know that they, they've not come from a background where they've done computer science at gcse or whatever they may still be slightly cynical or fearful of the the technology so so age you know is always one that i'm very cynical about i have to say but picking up on things like well actually this person given that background might need to be you know taken through uh, a process and, and encouraged and guided and then and lots of support whereas this person who is very confident with it and enjoys using the technology they're not going to want to go through that same experience because that would really frustrate them because they can't do what they want to do quickly so you, you have to uh, you have to consider you know these different needs and i think to me that's the the essence of, of why personas are so useful and powerful i think that probably leads quite nicely on to how do you create the personas because mm. if you if you imagine those personas and create them from your own experience and your own um, your own um, biases etc then you are going to build in certain stereotypes certain biases in there um, and that's where this, this idea of doing proper user and customer research should enable you to avoid some of that bias, avoid the stereotypes, because you're looking at genuine, real characteristics of your customers and users. Uh, and and that's, where, that's where the real personas come in. We, we often talk about personas and, and what we're talking about are really proto personas, which are um, sort of, they're not based in sound research. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, here's a question for, for, for the two of you. What, what do you think about having photos on personas? It's like been slightly uh, controversial here. 
so so for me i think if it, sometimes it's useful to have a, a photo just from the point of view as making it more personal like mm. more more of a human so you're actually looking at a human rather than just looking at text on a page that sometimes takes away the human element of what we're actually talking about mm. so i was like if you've got like a photo and a, and a persona I always like to think if you've got a, like a chair, in an empty chair in the room, you can sit that persona on the chair and make sure you always consider them in any conversations that you have with a project. So I always, I always like to use use that. Yeah, and, and giving them a name as well, you know, that, that yeah. brings more to life, doesn't it? Might yeah, be. that's right. I was going to say, I, I like I like the idea of having a name and having a photo because it does give you some somebody to empathise with. You, you can't imagine them. And I was having a discussion actually recently. I, I think I, I, I think in words more than pictures. So when I read the words, I can't imagine a person. So if I'm looking at that persona, I can't visualize that person. If I've got a picture and a name, I've then got something tangible. However, that does come with some downsides because the picture and the name start convey, conveying other meaning as well. And you can start making assumptions that aren't there in the words. So um, it's a challenge. I, I did, um, I think on a, one of the previous courses, we discovered a website, thispersondoesnotexist.com, which was really useful for generating photos. What I've been really disappointed to find out is that that website now doesn't exist.com anymore. So, so I, can't, I can't use that to generate my personas. I've seen that before now, and it was quite freaky, actually, because they mm. look like real people, but apparently they've been generated using generate. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've yeah. not heard of that. No, I can't no, go and see. It is quite interesting. It is quite interesting. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, coming back to what you were saying earlier as well, Mike, about bias, you know, sometimes when you've got a name there, when you've got a photo, people's unconscious bias can kick in there. But but I'm with, I'm with, with Kerry on this one. You know, I, I think it helps us to empathise. You know, some of these personas often then become part of the, the project, don't they? Part of the project team, you know, and, and certainly my background has been in solution development for many, many years now, more than I care to remember. And um, personas has been a thing in user interface design for, for many years, you know, trying to empathize with, with users and to think, you know, what are the needs of these particular users? Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're working on a project where you're developing, you know, working with developers and they're building some kind of user interface, you know, you might say, mm, OK, well, I can see that working for Manjit, but it wouldn't work for Terry. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you, you start, it starts to bring them to life, you know. Yeah, they, they almost become real people for you in your well, discussions. In the team. And ultimately, when they do start to use it, they are real people, aren't they? It's, so it's just trying to emulate that earlier on in the process while we're starting to think about the the needs and the functionality and the requirements and things um, yeah yeah that's good um, okay so we talked like about like what is a persona and why is it useful could you sort of give some insight on 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 how you would use it sort of if you would use it in a project before how it would be what sort of other you know tools or techniques you could use with a persona um pete do you want to yeah i'm happy to do that uh, i have to pick up um so uh, i mean both mike and i run a course called uh, Agile Business Analysis. And, you know, we've got various different exercises there. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but um, there is an exercise that talks about identifying user roles. Um, and, you know, for user roles, 
Uh, I'm going to use a slightly different example than we use on the course, so as not to have any spoiler alerts. But you know, user roles, you, you might have, say, um, an online order processing system or something. So you might have a user role, which is an order processing clerk, who's an internal role. And of course, then you've got you know, your, your customers, and maybe you've got things like prospective customer and uh, returning customer or registered customer, those sorts of things. But the next logical step, once you identify your user roles, is to start writing user stories. And user stories then lend themselves very much to that. There's a, a natural progression from user roles into user stories. But as you start to then flesh out, you know, how that experience would work for, you know, particular user roles, then if you're not careful, you're treating everybody the same and saying, all right, well, well let's start to map out you know, a series of scenarios of how they would interact with the solution. Um, and then it all becomes very vanilla and you think, okay, well, it, not everyone can, can work in this way. So that's when you can start to bring in some personas and say, well, let, let's, let's rework this now for each of these different personas and then see how the subtle differences come up and see if we can preempt some of the challenges that certain personas may have that other personas don't have. You know, and a classic one there is is about um, you know computer literacy and and fear of technology and things like that. They they do have different experiences, and you're trying to empathise with them so that when you deliver a solution, it meets the needs of as broad a group of of users um, as possible. So I mean that will be my take, but I'm sure there's lots of other ways we can use them. Mike, can you, you? Yeah. So so I think I think. The that's a good a good starting point for quite a few um, thoughts there around how to use personas. I think they're quite useful for um, for doing empathy mapping. So actually, you can start um, building on that persona a little bit more and think, well, how is this? Um, what are their what are their thoughts? What are their uh, what sort of things do they say? What are their uh, feelings about things? Um, and then that helps us draw a sort of a bigger picture, and, and we can then map that onto the products and services that we're offering. Um, to match some of those things. So it, it's it's a starting point to get a more detailed understanding of those personas through the empathy mapping. Um, what else What else was I thinking? Um, and we, we've talked about using personas, therefore, around designing things. So we're designing, designing our solutions. Um, but we can also then use them um, when we're testing things. So how is that going to work for that particular person? And an interesting thing that, um, so, so we can use that um, the design which is matching the needs of the individuals, the, the testing to validate that those needs have been met. And then we could also use it, um, dare I say it, for marketing purposes as well, because you've got different, uh, you're appealing to di different people and they've got different motivations there. So um, that, that would be another thing, not that I've been involved in marketing at all. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then if I could just add on, so so what I've used them in the past with customer journey mapping as well, getting the persona at the top of a, the, you know, the, the journey map. So you're basing the journey very much on the persona and what the goal is of the persona is just to set boundaries for the customer journey, where you start, where you stop, and then all the sort of the interactions mm -hmm. in between. So I think I've sort of seen it work sort of successfully with customer journey mapping as well. And yeah, just to just pick it up on that then, Kerry, you know. The thing about the customer journey maps that I find really quite powerful is, you know, you can then start to explore the, the touch points and, you know, the, the moments of truth as, as they're often known. You know, when a customer has that connection in some way with the organization, 
you know, it may be an online connection, you know, that they're trying to use a website and it's frustrating the hell out of them because it's not working how they want. Or it may be that they're talking to somebody in a shop and that person's being really obnoxious or not particularly helpful. So, you know, trying to, to be able to empathize then with those experiences. But, but also coming back to what Mike was saying about user research, you know, you could then go back to your customers and, and then survey them in terms of what's your experience. You know, and, and I'm always reminded, and this is a bit of a tacky thing here, but I'm always reminded of toilets in airports. Um, I don't know why, but um, for some reason, toilets in airports, I, I don't know whether it works in other places. It may not be just unique to airports, but toilets in airports, when you come out, there's always one of these sort of machines there with the smiley faces, isn't it? You've got the kind of green beaming smile, then you've got the sort of neutral amber and then you've got the turned over smile for red you know rate your experience of um, of using our facilities you know and, and i think that's an interesting thing about personas because if you are serious about the user research and you're serious about customer journey maps you've got to capture the data haven't you you've got to get that kind of information from your from your customers from your users in terms of their experience at certain key touch points so that's, you can it's an in interesting perspective an interesting perspective on that phenomenon in, in airport toilets. My, my view around that is what persona do they think is going to press the buttons having come out of the toilet <laughs> to determine whether they think it's clean or not? Um, it's going to be a business analyst, isn't it? It's going to be a business analyst that presses the button, you know, because I don't know about everybody else, guys, but I, I mean, I find that I can't get away from business analysis in my life. You know, whatever happens, you're always analysing it, thinking, yeah, but I wonder if this will make a good case study on a course, or maybe we could turn that into an exercise, or actually, yeah, you know, th this is a really good point about customer journey maps. You can never get away, can you? Yeah, we're getting into roles now rather than personas. We've got a range of personas in business analysis, haven't we? Yeah, which was going to be one of my next questions, which was going to be, I never touched on um, user roles and linking them. Um, sort of in your in your experience, sort of how many personas would you create sort of per role? Do you have sort of any advice or guidance that you could give to somebody on that? Well, I would certainly say more than one, because otherwise you really are stereotyping, aren't you? It defeats the whole point of it. Um, I think I think it depends. And I think sometimes, again, coming back to what Mike said about the user research, I think your user research and the data you gather will inform how many personas would be would be reasonable. So when you're analyzing that data that comes back, you think, OK, what are the fundamental trends here? You know, we've got a group of people that seem to seem to have this experience or have this perspective about things. We've got some that have this, some that have that. And then for each of those slight differences, you make that judgment. Should I actually define an, a separate persona for that group of individuals? Um, but obviously it depends on the results you're going to get. Um, I mean, I suppose one thing that you might say is the more the merrier, really, because the more personas we define, the, the more inclusive um, we are in terms of, you know, the diversity of, of our customer base and our user base. But I don't know, that's my view anyway. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Pete. You've, you've, you've got to base it on the research, really. Uh, and the research might identify um, clusters of people that are very similar within that role. And, and therefore that gives maybe however many clusters there are determines how many um, different um, personas you might have. Or you might find that actually the characteristics that you're finding are linear, in which case, if there's some linear relationship, 
how many how many points along the line do you want to divide that up? Um, so yeah, I, mean, I, I would expect there to be um, more than one, but however however many depends on the size of your your population. Um, I previously worked at a university, and we had one role was um, was um, student, but student we could segment into um, undergraduate student coming straight from from sixth form. We had uh, some mature students. We've got postgraduate students. We've got international students. Then we started to segment, think about students coming from a care background, um, students with um, special educational needs, um, students with physical disabilities. So there, there were quite a few things that you could segment um, down on, de dependent on what the particular project was you were working on, because not all of those characteristics would be relevant yeah. for um, for for every single project that we were doing. So it, it really depends on, first of all, you've got to do the research and having done the research, then pull together the appropriate elements that are relevant or the appropriate personas that are relevant for the project you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes great sense. Okay. And um, so um, are there any sort of final points on personas that you'd like to just finish off the podcast today with? Um, any other points? We've covered quite a lot of things, I think, already. Um, but if there's anything you'd like to add before we finish. Well, I, I think I would say that sometimes people are kind of reticent to, to use personas because they think, oh, you know, am I stereotyping? Am I, you know, am I going to be on dodgy ground in terms of political correctness and things like that? I, I would say, you know, you, you're better to give it a go and start to get some experience and see how it's working rather than to, to convince yourself, I can't do this because there are too many potential problems down the, down the line. Um, having said that, when you do do it, try and keep that in mind, you know, and have a thing if you're defining a, a persona. Am I stereotyping here? Is this characteristic relevant? And coming back to what Mike was saying about relevance, is it relevant to what I'm doing? If it's not, don't define it within a persona because then you are likely to be on that sort of stereotypical dodgy ground. Yeah, and the, the other thing I would add to that is it depends the environment you're working in and how big a team you've got. If you're in a large organization where you've got user and customer researchers, they're doing the research that you need to create. The they're probably creating personas. Um, so, so make use of those resources. Find, find people in your organization who are already doing this. If you're in a smaller organization or a smaller team where and you can't identify anybody that's doing this, then have a go. Take an iterative approach to building some personas. You can you can kind of guess it to start with because you won't have the research. But as you start to interview people and meet um, your representatives in those different user roles and customer roles, you'll identify some characteristics. Um, so build up some personas and and refine them over time. And as you can get some research, put some of that research in there. So I wouldn't be afraid to use a proto persona, um, but try and get some research into it as soon as you can. Um, so prototype, prototype your personas and they can help you prototype your solutions as well. That sounds like great advice. So I want to thank, thank you, Pete. Thank you, Mike, um, for today. And thank you for watching. If anybody has any ideas for any future podcasts, please do get in contact with us at babrew at assistkd.com.